you've found the Rock Hesperia and are on your way to building a solid life. We make disciples here. If you, your children, or anyone comes to Jesus, hears his sayings, and does them, your life will become solid. So let's get to it. I don't know about you, I just feel the presence of God here right now. Do you? I just, he's here. In fact, I just want you right where you're at. I don't know what's on your mind this morning, but would you just close your eyes and let the peace of God permeate every place. Just as we were praying and worshiping, I even stepped out for a minute just to really get a sense of like, Lord, what do you want to do in this moment? I just could tell some of you came in and there's a lot of turmoil going on at home. And no one here knows, and it's not something you tell the greeter at the door when they ask how you're doing. And when we shake hands, you put on a good face. But when you walk out these doors, you're met with opposition. You're met with anxiety. And a lot of these things are coming from within. And they feel like you feel like almost a volcano that's going to erupt. And maybe it's something going on with your family, or maybe it's something going on with your health or at work. I don't know exactly what it may be, but I just have a feeling that many here, you need the peace of God that passes all understanding, that you need that peace to guard your heart and mind today. So Lord, we welcome your presence that brings peace. Glory to God. Yeah, there's like an exchange happening even as I'm praying. Some of you, you're finally letting go of the anxiety and allowing peace in. Where there's been control, where there's been a, a, a trying to make things happen on your own and it's exhausting and it's tiring and you feel like you, you've made no headway. In fact, you even feel like you've gone backwards a bit and yet the peace of God is pressing into you today in the name of Jesus. Yeah, there's a family here and the marriage, your marriage, you, 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 you're just not sure. You're just not sure if well, you're not sure if you're going to make it. You just have had this dis- distinct fear or almost uh, a knowing where you just feel like, I don't know if, it's, if we're going to make it. And I'm here to announce to you today that that is a lie. That lie is there's a lie that says you're not going to make it. That's a lie. Call it out today in the name of Jesus. I speak peace to your marriage in Jesus' name. Peace in that home. No more arguing about silly things. Mm. Peace, Lord. Peace. Peace. This is for anybody. This isn't just for uh, those who maybe you're newer. This is even for leaders. You need peace again in your life. Oh, God, minister peace today. Mm -hmm. I just feel the Holy Spirit saying, don't move on. I know it may feel awkward to somebody where you feel like, I don't really know what's going on, but that's okay. Maybe the person next to you needs this. And this is worth it for them. It's worth the time. Yeah, have your way, Lord. 
Have your way, Lord. Break all the rules today, Lord, that we set up. Break all the rules that we've tried to make up in our own life. Tried to kept it together. Tried to put on the face. Tried to paint it on. Break it all today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Have your way in this place. I break all religious spirits. I break all traditions that are unuseful and unhelpful. Lord, we need glory in this house again. We need glory in this place today. We need your presence in this place today. We need your power in this place today, Lord. I don't need just another good sermon. I don't just need another good word. I don't just need encouragement. Lord, today I need your presence. I need your power. I need your breakthrough. I need your glory in this house. Yes. Yes. Lord, we need deliverance. Oh, yes. If your eyes aren't closed, close your eyes because I'm going to feel like I just need to even expose some things of the enemy. But you didn't know it was the enemy because the devil's fine with you blaming everybody else all day long as long as you don't blame him. Because once you find out it's him, he knows that you have authority in the name of Jesus to tell him to go. So some you've been blaming others for your lack of self-control or maybe you've been blaming others for that uh, that uh, anxiety that stress that pressure you feel in the morning but it's not other people it's not even you it's a demonic strategy against your life to take you out to take your family out to take your assignment that God has on your life out And here's how he comes. He comes like in the morning time when you don't feel like getting out of bed. That's not just tired sometimes. Sometimes that's him trying to discourage you. And if he can keep you in bed just a little while longer and get your thoughts going down this road of depression and down this road of anxiety and down this road of hopelessness. He knows if he can have you in the morning, he can have your day. So it's not just you. It's a demonic strategy against your life. So when you wake up in the morning, it's time to stop giving place to it. And it's time to tell him to no, you have to go in the name of Jesus. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh yeah. Some of you think that just arguing on the way to church is just because your spouse can't drive right. <laughs> No, but there's an arguing that happens and you're going to notice it at certain times when God wants to do something in your life. And yet right before that happens, there's an argument, there's tension, there's something that just seems like it came out of the blue. Well, it didn't just come out of the blue. There's a demonic assignment against your life to interrupt the plan of God. But we have to be more keen on what he's doing. We cannot be ignorant of his devices. Why? So that when he comes, we can tell him, no, not this household. No, not this marriage. No, not my life. You must go in the name of Jesus. So I want to do this with every head bowed and your eyes closed. Because honestly, this isn't about you knowing what's going on in your neighbor's life. This is about your life. If any of this rings true for you today, maybe it's you needed the peace. Or maybe you can tell the enemy's been at work in your life. If that's you, I just want you to raise a hand. And we're going to pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. I command every spirit of depression, every spirit of anxiety, every spirit of control to go 
in the name of Jesus, you have no place in our lives. You have no place in our households. You have no place in my mind. You must go in the name of Jesus. No more. We will tolerate the plan of the enemy. No more. Come on, say no more. No more. In the name of Jesus, he whom the Son sets free is free. I am the freed today. In the name of Jesus. Oh, yes. This just saved someone's marriage. A great deal of harm. A great deal of of unneeded and unnecessary arguing intention. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We need you, Lord. We need more of you. Come on, any hungry people today, just begin just to tell the Lord, I need more of you. I need less of me. I'm going to put myself down and I'm going to decrease, Lord, so that you'll increase, increase in my life, Lord, increase in every area, increase so that I'll decrease. I'm going to decrease so that you increase in Jesus name. If you agree with you, say amen. Amen. Well, sometimes it's necessary. Can I hand you this? Sometimes it's necessary to just do work. So I apologize, kind of, (laughs) if that's unusual for you. But this is what I know. If we come in here and ignore the real places where God wants to move, we'll be stuck. And I don't just mean our church. I mean, you'll be stuck and you'll continue to wonder, why am I not moving forward? Why am I not seeing this happen in my life? But we got to come in here and tell the truth to those certain parts of our life and come in here and say, no, I'm not going to tolerate discouragement in my mind anymore. I'm not going to let I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to listen to the news and what everybody else has to say about why I'm having those thoughts and about this and about that. No, no, no. I'm going to come to the truth of God's word. It says that he keeps me in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. I'm going to read about how the joy of the Lord is my strength. So when I have a lack of joy, I'm going to come straight back to the source. I'm going to say, Lord, you said that your joy would be my strength. So I receive joy today in the middle of things that don't even make sense I receive joy I'm not going to wait for my circumstances to bring joy I'm not going to wait for my girlfriend or boyfriend or my spouse or my job to bring joy you're my joy come on everybody hear what I'm saying today there's like a it's almost like I feel like the Lord's uh, doing what I do with my kids sometimes you know I have a Uh, three kids, a nine-year-old, seven-year-old, four-year-old. And so especially with our four-year-old, you know, she's still in this stage where she's just in her own space, right? And somebody told me the other day, she's going to be a CEO. And I'm like, she's not going to be. She is a CEO today. She runs this family, right? But sometimes, you know, just to get her attention, I just have to take her face, right? And just like, like set it on mine. Like, She's like looking at everything else. And even when I say, look in my eyes, she's off. <laughs> you know, she can't quite do it. Sometimes I just have to like set her face on mine. And I just feel like that's kind of what the Lord's doing with us today. He's just taking our face gently, not strong. He's not abusive. He just takes our face and he just sets it on his. He said, and you're looking at the wrong things right now. Look at me. Look at me. I got you. This is what I want to say to you. 
So God is so good like that, so patient. So, Anyways, none of that has to do with the message today. That's just God. <laughs> That's his message today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Y'all are anointed to do that. Uh, I want to do this. Would you turn to uh, the book of Esther? The book of Esther. I'm fascinated right now uh, within the books of Daniel and Esther. And, uh, and we may look at Daniel too. We'll just see how today goes. Um, but I'm fascinated with these two people. Interesting, too, that one is a man, one is a woman, and both play a very similar role in the time that they lived in. They played the role of an intercessor. And today, I just want to teach on something that may sound a little spooky for some of you, but, but at this point, with, after all that prayer we just did, the spooky thing just went out the window. So we're just going to just dive right into it. And really, if you wanted to give a title to this message, it's just called, It's Time for Intercession. It's time for intercession. And let me just demystify intercession for us today uh, so that we kind of know what this means. Because I'm sure many of you, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this word intercession or you've heard the role of intercessor. And usually you think of people who are like they're out there on the edges of like what God's doing and spiritually. And by the way, those are my people. I love those people. I'm probably a little bit one of those people. and uh, But it's not just that, okay? So I want to demystify it a little bit. Intercession really means, and to be an intercessor, means that you will stand in the gap for people who cannot. So here's what it would look like in prayer. You go and pray to God for people who don't yet know how to pray for themselves. So all of us, I'm sure, have unsaved family, friends, people who they don't know God. They may even reject him totally. And so we want to talk about trying to get them to pray. They don't pray. They don't even believe in God. So what do we do? We just hand them over and not even say anything to God on their behalf and, and, and give up on them? Of course not. So what does that make us in the meantime that makes us intercessors? So that when we go to prayer, we're literally coming to the throne room of God. On their behalf because they can't yet go there because they're not yet redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So if they go in the throne room, it's not good for them. It's not time for them, right? So they have to get redeemed. They have to get saved. They have to get washed in the blood of Jesus just like us. But until that time, we come into the throne room of grace and we pray for them. And these two books, the book of Daniel, the book of Esther, really show what that looks like. Now, another thing that I find fascinating about these two books is that they take place in an ungodly era. They take place in a time when the government even was completely godless, or if they did believe in God, it was plural. They had a, a, a pluralistic society where really they believed in all kinds of things, and they would even believe that the kings were uh, deities, and there, it was just quite something, right? But the fact that they were godless, and they were even making laws in both of these books, they were making laws to make it a sin to be a Christian. Now, of course, they weren't Christian because Jesus had not yet come, but they made it illegal to believe in the God of Israel, the God of uh, Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. They would write laws and make them uh, so official that if you were to cross the lines with these laws, you would be killed. So 
interesting to me, especially us being in California, we are in an era where laws are being written and some of them very covertly and some of them being very overtly against us. And I don't believe that these are just because we have bad lawmakers and because these are people who are they knowingly doing what they're doing. Some may be, I don't know, only the Lord knows these things. But I do know that there is a strategy against us and that there's a strategy to silence us. And to make us afraid and to intimidate and to push us back and to push us basically not just back into the church. Because it used to just be enough that it was a separation of church and state. Now that's not even enough. It's now we don't even want the church in the state. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like there's not a, there, there's, the strategy is not born of a human mentality. The strategy is the demonic. So the church has to wake up and realize this is not political. It shows up in politics, but it's not political in its origin, right? It's not personality. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. This is not in that realm. This is in the spirit realm. And so until we get that, we're going to be fighting the battles in all the wrong places. And so we're reading here, uh, particularly in the book of Esther, of a time where uh, there was an ungodly king. In fact, history is very vague around the time of Esther. So uh, this book is quite fascinating because it is a, a peak into a time that's not well documented elsewhere. And in this time, uh, there was a king and he was uh, basically liked women. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. So he liked ladies and, and not just one, he liked many. So they would find these, uh, these women and they would prepare them to have uh, their their night with the king and that was even a movie one night with the king and they would they would prepare them for quite some time and he may just be with them one time and then never see them again but once he was with them they were no they could not go back out to society they were now like kept there in the king's palace and if he never called on them again then they were basically on their own from that day forward in his in in his palace well, Esther was basically called upon to be one of these women. So she went through quite a process of preparation, and you can read about it at a different time. But basically, she, for a year, was being prepared with oils and spices, and basically she was at the spa 24-7. All you ladies might be okay with that. But she was being prepared, and it's hard for us to wrap our head around this because culturally, that, those things don't make sense. But I want to kind of cut through all of that. And get down to what really was going on. And the fact that though it seemed uh, very strange and unusual. God was using this woman and putting her in the right place at the right time. And I want to announce to some of you. Sometimes you will go through some really odd ways to get to the will of God. And they don't always make sense, okay? So I'm not here to announce to you that, oh, all the bad things that you went through were God making that happen or doing that to you. But I will announce to you that he will turn it all, all of it, for your good if you'll allow him. He'll move all of it. Every single piece, every single hurt, every single pain. He'll move it in your direction for his kingdom and for his glory. Now, I want you to go to Esther chapter 3. Esther chapter 
And in Esther chapter 3, there, we find this man who was an advisor to the king, King Ahasuerus, and his name was Haman. Everybody say Haman. Haman. So Haman basically had this idea, and I think it was born out of his own insecurity, his own need for power, his own controlling spirit. I think it was, it was inspired by the demonic, but to him, he was just doing what seemed uh, like what the right thing for him to do. But he begins to advise the king that they, basically they should make a law that would destroy the Jews because he made up this idea that the, the, that the, the Jewish people would not serve or bow down or give place to King Ahasuerus. So he basically convinced the king that they should do this, that sh they should write this law and uh, uh, send it throughout all of the country. So in verse 10 of Esther chapter 3, we see, So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamathadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province according to its script, and to every people and their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet. And the letters were sent by couriers, catch this, into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all of the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. So a copy of this document was uh, was to be issued as law in every province being published for all people that they should be ready for that day. So basically, they sent the word out so that not only would the officials carry this out, but they sent it out to all the people so that all the people would turn against the Jewish people. And in that one day, they were to annihilate all of them. Every single one of them. I mean, this was murderous, right? And we really saw this spirit rise up again uh, in the 1900s with the Holocaust. Because Satan is after God's seed. Do you hear me? Satan is after to destroy the very word, the promise. He wants to compromise what God said about Abraham. Because he knows if he can undermine God in that area then he'll undermine the whole thing. The great news is he cannot undermine any of it anymore. Jesus has already won the victory. <laughs> so, but here we find, and I think this is where we come into play, is we find that this law has been sent out. It's been signed. The king has been convinced this is what needs to happen. And he has even given his authority over to this ungodly, this godless person. And yet, while all of this has been happening, Esther became queen. And while all of this has been happening, Esther's been coming in favor with the same king that just decreed de annihilation against her people. So though the enemy was working, which I think was interesting that it said about Haman, that they were an enemy of the Jews, because we have an enemy. So the enemy is working over here, and he's being very... Uh, Overt. I mean, this law is being written, it's being sent out, but God is working covertly over here oh, through this woman. 
So in other words, the enemy's out here playing all his cards, putting it out there for everybody to see. And God is over here and he's preparing this woman. No one knows she's there. None of the Jewish people know she's over here. Nobody knows that she has favor with the king, except for those who would be close to the king, who understand the way that he operates, the way that he thinks. So she's over here and she's not even aware of what's going on over here. So she's probably over here thinking, how did I end up in this kingdom? How did I end up with this man? How did I end up in this situation? I'm kind of a prisoner now, though everybody else thinks this is glorious and grand. I'm kind of a prisoner over here. And yet God is working a situation because of what's going on over here. So here's what's interesting to me is this is where her uncle comes in. And he comes in and begins to uh, shine light. Everybody say Mordecai. Mordecai. Mordecai, interestingly to me, is a type of the Holy Spirit. So when you read this, again, these are, if you just read it as like history and like story, you're going to miss what God's saying because all scripture has been given to us for edification. It's, it's to build us up. It's to encourage us. Sometimes it's to correct us. But a lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, it's so that we see ourselves in here. And it's because God wanted to speak to you and I even today. So this story is not just history. Like, wow, look how God used her. God wants to use me. That, that is one part. But I think it's so much deeper than that. And he wants to even show us how Mordecai a type of the Holy Spirit sends word to Esther so she understands what's going on outside of the palace gates, outside the bubble. So he sends word to her to let her know, Esther, this is what is going on and this is what the decree has been sent out. So let's read in verse, let's go down to verse uh, seven And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. Verse 8. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther. Catch this. That he might show it to Esther and explain it to her. And that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication, intercession to him and plead before him for her people. So I want you to notice what happened. Esther is over here. She's in the bubble. She doesn't know what's going on outside the, 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 the palace. She probably hears rumors. She may hear certain things here and there, but there's a pretty tight lid in the area that she's now finding herself. But yet word gets to her through Mordecai. So the Holy Spirit we could say, is moving and gets word to her to show her here is what's happening and to make her understand that judgment has been issued and decreed against your people. And he needs to get her to understand because here's what Mordecai sees. God put you here and now it's your turn to stand up and allow him to use you. In other words, Mordecai helped point out to Esther that she wasn't there by chance. She was there on purpose. Yeah. See, we need the Holy Spirit to help open our eyes that we're not in California, we're not in Hesperia, we're not in this area, Southern California, by accident. God put us here. 
He put the rock here. He put you where you are for that purpose. He put you in your business for a purpose. It's not by accident. You didn't just land there. You don't have favor with your boss just because you're a nice person. You have favor for a purpose. This is what was going on with Esther. She didn't realize that the favor that was being shown to her was for a purpose. But I want to let you know that anytime you see favor on your life, your ears should perk up and start asking God, what is the purpose? What is the purpose? Because the purpose is not just so you can live better and have a nice life and live comfortably. The purpose is because God has placed you somewhere that he needs to use you. So as soon as you start to feel favor, your hands ought to throw up and you start, you ought to start to say, Lord, how do you want me to use me? How do you want to do, what do you want to do in my life? How do you want to use me in this business? How do you want to use me in my family? Listen, if you're the person everybody calls in your family, every time stuff hits the fan, you have a favor on your life because there's something God wants to do through you in your family. Maybe you're called to be that minister of reconciliation. Maybe you're called in your family to bring mom and grandma together. Maybe you're called to be in that family to bring the wayward brother and the wayward sister together. The favor isn't there just because you're a good listener. Y'all hear what I'm saying? This stuff, we, 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 we get caught into the world's way of seeing things. And because of that... We're blinded or we get in our bubble like Esther. And I'm here to burst your bubble. <laughs> Maybe that should be the title of today's message. Bust the bubble, right? No, because the Holy Spirit is sending out messages like Mordecai was sending to Esther, trying to wake up the church, trying to get us to realize that we're not here so that we can shrink back and coil back and get into the, our, our, our caves and into hiding and get scared just because it's getting a little tough out there. No, we're put in this place because God obviously thought you and I have the strength to stand in the evil day. Amen. Come on, somebody. I believe he thinks that we have the strength through his Holy Spirit to stand when everybody else is falling back. So we find this here, and uh, Esther catches this message from Mordecai. In fact, in verse 13, let's read, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Because here's what happened. Esther responded back to Mordecai and basically said, listen, this is the way the law works. If you come before the king without invitation, you die. Unless he stretches out his scepter and lets you in. So interesting about the way she put this. She didn't say that if you come, if he stretches out your scepter, he'll let you in and then you'll die. No, no. She said you die unless that scepter is stretched. In other words, it's a lot more intense than I think she, maybe even Mordecai realized. But Mordecai almost ignored her. <laughs> like unconcerned with what may happen to her. And here's what he told them to answer. Do not think in your heart. This is a word for us. Come on. <laughs> Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, if you have a, a pin, underline, highlight, circle at this time. If you re re remain completely silent at this time. Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you... And your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time 
as this. Again, underline, circle, highlight, whatever you do on your phone. For such a time as this, we're living in these times. Where if you remain completely silent at this time. In other words, this time will pass. And if you remain silent at this time, your wife, you're, you're done. That's over. That time is over. And see, we live in a culture and we've been living in an age where people preach grace all the time without the understanding of, no, there's grace, but there's still a timing to this thing. God owns a watch. <laughs> he, he knows what's happening on the earth. And when he sends out a command, he expects his people to listen up and to obey. And when that time of obedience passes, it's passed. It's gone. And so Mordecai is sending word to her saying, listen, if you remain silent at this time, you and your father's house will perish. But God is faithful, basically. And he will raise up deliverance for his people, no doubt. So, in other words, he's saying you can either be a part of the solution or God will go find a different solution. But one way or the other, God is going to be God and he will have his way. I think that's something that we need to own up to. In other words, we need to face reality that we're either going to be on God's side of this thing or we're not. There is no middle ground. There's no silent ground. There's no place just to be quiet, to shrink back. And by the way, I'm not just talking about political stuff. I'm just talking about even when you go and people start asking you, hey, uh, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, you know, I had some family time and, you know, took care of stuff around the, the house. And, you know, maybe three months later, they find out that you go to church and you got the, they're like, you go to church? I never heard you mention church before. Mm-hmm, that's because you've been silent. That person needs deliverance and you can't even say you're going to church. <laughs> Is that okay? We're we talking this straight this morning. <laughs> oh no. Every Monday we go grocery shopping and we go to Trader Joe's. Come on somebody. Trader Joe's. We go to Trader Joe's because my kids love the orange chicken. So I go to Trader Joe's every Monday. So we go to Trader Joe's, get the orange chicken and the rice and blah, blah, blah. So checking out every single time I go to Trader Joe's, they ask me, how was your weekend? Oh, it was good. What did you do? And in that moment, you have the opportunity to say, what did you really do? And then I get to tell them, oh, well, we did have family time, but I was at church all day yesterday. Oh, wow, what church you go to? And then we get right into it. Oh, yeah, and I'm a pastor there, blah, 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 blah. For me, it's no big deal anymore. But I remember when that even used to be like, do I say that I went to church? Do I not go to church? Do I even want them to know it's a Christian? Why? Because there's a spirit of this age trying to scare us back into a hole. And I'm telling you, I will not be silent. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to ha happen. Why? Because God's calling us out and saying, if you'll be silent, that's fine. I'm, but I will bring salvation to people a different way. In other words, if you can't talk to the checker at the, the grocery store, I'll send somebody else to speak to them. And I don't know about you, but, I, you know, I kind of have sometimes a competitive spirit. So I don't want somebody else to win. <laughs> In other words, I don't want to lose out on that opportunity. So something rises up in me and is like, oh, Lord, I don't want that. But the clarity, I feel like, of the word of God helps us to see there's no middle ground. There's no wishy-washy, like, well, sometimes it'll be quiet, sometimes it won't. Like, it just kind of depends on the situation. No. 
We need to be vocal. We need to stand up when it's time to stand up. And amazing to me that he says, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. See, I grew up in North Carolina. I grew up 3,000 miles away. If you take I-40 and you drive east, you will pass my house uh, on the east coast, okay? So when I came here, I was 18 years old. And of all places that I could have gone to college, I went to Life Bible College, uh, which is in San Dimas. Uh, it's our four, our four square Bible college. And I went there and that's where I got my undergrad. That's where God called me to go. And when I went to school my freshman year, this was 17 years ago. And when I went there, I started going to this church called The Rock. It was in Orange County. It's 30 minutes away from school. It wasn't really that convenient when you're a college student, you know, and you don't really have that much money. And so gas money is still something you're negotiating. Hey, you got gas money. Hey, you know, if you want to, can I ride with you? I'll give you gas. Like that was the stage I was in of life, right? But yet I knew God was pushing me to go to this newer church. It was about two years old at the time, maybe two, three hundred people. And so I'm going to this church and it, I, it, it, in those moments of preparation, you know, because that's what it was. I was in school. I was interning. I was serving. All that preparation, I didn't realize what it was all headed towards. You know, you know in part, you know little pieces here and there. But I didn't realize that God was moving me in his path like Esther to be a solution for a problem that we would be facing. Not just in Orange County, but in California and the United States. That would be a part of a church and a part of a movement that would be like Esther to stand when it was time to stand. So I know for me, God for, and even before I moved to California, but when he spoke to me when I was 12 years old and said, you know, you're going to be in full-time ministry, you know, and, and all of this, you don't know what it looks like, but you just feel God pulling you and pulling you and pulling you into his will. But all that sounds really fun and exciting when you're hearing it. And then once you realize what it's for, oh, you mean I'm going to have to go and stick my neck out there. And by the way, it might get chopped off. That changes the dynamic, right? And have you ever noticed like God never tells you that up front? He's like, it's going to be awesome, right? Like this is going to be so good. Like notice with Abraham. He just told Abraham, like, I'm going to give you a seed and through your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. He didn't tell him about going through Egypt and, you know, how he was going to be tempted to give his wife away over to Pharaoh. And he didn't say, oh, by the way, when your son's born, I want you to take him up to a mountain, Moriah, and I want you to, uh, you know, sacrifice him there. He didn't say any of that kind of stuff. Right. Which, thank God, he didn't have to go through with it. But he didn't say all the tests that would come along the way. He basically gave him the end result and said, follow me. Right? Sounds familiar. Like Jesus who says, follow me. And you're like, Lord, where? And he's all. He doesn't even answer. Right? I mean, did you notice that with the disciples? He's all follow me. And he just walked away. And it's always made me like bewildered, like how, how did this man, Jesus, because they didn't know him as Jesus at that time. This is a man comes up and says, follow me. And something hit them so hard. They left all of that and just followed him. Our world needs people who have that kind of boldness. To not, not only not shrink back, and, but actually step forward and say, follow me. 
Oh, you want, you want to know Jesus? Follow me. I'll show you where he's at. Right? To have the self-confidence. To have the boldness to say, you know what? I'm worth following. And, and, and we get a little religious sometimes. We're like, well, they're not going to follow me. They're going to follow Jesus. Well, duh. Okay? You know? <laughs> but read the New Testament. Timothy followed Paul. Paul would write letters to him, commanding him, commending him, exhorting him, correcting him. Why? Because Timothy was following his leadership. So we need a lot more Pauls in the church. We need some of us in here to just everybody around you, any, any, any person who just seems like they connect to you. Say, hey, follow me. Amen. You want to know God better? Me too. Let's go together. Right. So not only what not only are we not supposed to coil back, we're supposed to step forward and say, you know what? Follow me. Let's do this thing together. I don't have it all figured out. You're right in saying that I'm not Jesus. (laughs) And thank God for you. I'm not because (laughs) the earth would have burned a long time ago. So thank you, Lord. that I'm not in the Trinity. Okay, so this is a good thing. But I am somebody who's like, you know what? Uh, I'm willing to put down my own insecurity, my own wrestling sometimes of whether, you know, I've got what it takes or whether I'm worth following. I'm more on the, for other people's sake, I'm willing to put all of that down so that they'll see the plan of God come to pass in their life. So we need the church, this church, the rock in Hesperia to stand for such a time as this. Anybody agree with this? So Esther responded in verse 16 of Esther chapter 4 and said, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Oh, I love this. Every time I read that, something inside of me just leaps like, yeah, you know, it's like one of those movies where they just, you know, like a a gladiator or a a braveheart or something, you know, and they're all on their horses and he's all freedom, you know, and you just, you're like, yeah. So Esther, this woman is basically like through the written word. She's saying, if I perish, I perish. And I just love that because it just brings everything down to the most simplest form. Basically, the worst thing that could happen is I die. And if I die, I die. And the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the... So there's worse things that could actually happen, right? So she says, if I perish, I perish. But I want you to notice before that, and this is a theme within Daniel, she called for a fast. In other words, she knew... That this is not just because of how good looking she is or how good she smells from all them oils she's been bathing in. This is going to take more than her own history of favor. She's going to need God to intervene and go before her. So she says, tell everybody to fast. And by the way, when your neck is on the line, literally hers and the Jewish people, uh, it's a little easier to fast. But see, when we get into spiritual terms, and because a lot of the things that we're fighting against are unseen, we don't feel the threat as much as it really is there. There is a real threat against us and against the assignment on our life, against the kingdom of God. And so because of that, we don't fast. 
Oh, it got quiet. Okay, so <laughs> this is the wrong message before lunch. Okay, so <laughs> oh Lord. Okay, so but but this is a big part. It was not just a big part in the life of Daniel and the life of Esther. This was a big part in the life of the New Testament church. They would fast. They would pray. They would regularly submit their will to God's will. So when they would fast, there was something about it. And, and I wish I could see into the spirit, like to see like in the unseen realm, what happens when the church fasts. Because I don't think it's just a natural thing of we make our bodies more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, though that does happen. But I think there are things that happen in the spirit realm that make way for God to break through. And I, you know, some of these things you're like, I I only know it in part. And so hopefully just through continuing in the word and through the Holy Spirit, we'll get better revelation. And there's probably people out there who have it. But I'm just telling you that there's something that was more than just her trying to rally the people's emotions when she was calling for this fast. But she was saying, no, we need God to move for us because if he does not move, my head is chopped and y'all are dead. So how do you many, you know, 100% of the people signed up for this fast? (laughs) Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, I'll forego the hummus for three days. Absolutely. <laughs> the falafel, okay? So if I perish, I perish. And then we go into Esther chapter 5. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, across from the king's house, while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. Now, interesting to me, because here, and I've really never seen this before, Until recently. But what an opportunity for Esther to get off track. Did you hear what he just offered her? Influence. Power. Money beyond imagination. Wealth beyond imagination. Basically, there would be nobody greater than her. Except for the king. So she gets into the place and favor made way for her to get to this position that God wanted to use her. And she was offered something and she could have been totally distracted. And I just wonder if she had not fasted and gotten herself in alignment, what would have happened? If she hadn't found the fortitude to stand in that moment, knowing what was on the line. If she would have yielded and maybe out of fear. Or maybe out of greed. We don't know. I mean, we're all tempted with all kinds of stuff, right? If it's not greed, it's fear. If it's not fear, it's pride. If it's not pride, it's something else. So she gets into the moment of that God's been preparing her, preparing her, preparing her, preparing her. Everything has come to this place. And she responds this way. In Esther, let's see. 
Esther chapter 5. What do you wish, Queen Esther? That is your request. It shall be given. So Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today in the banquet that I have prepared for him. And then the king said, Bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther said. So the king and Haman went to prepare the banquet that Esther had prepared. By the way, where did she get this idea? My guess is through those three days of prayer and fasting. Because I thought she was just going to come in and blow the whole thing up. You know what I'm saying? Like when you read this, you think she's just going to come in and be like, yo, king. Thank you for letting me in. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to stop this thing because you're crazy. Why did you, you know, and she just pops off at the mouth. And then she's all right. She's dead. (laughs) But look at this wisdom. She's all throw, throw a banquet. And bring Haman. Bring the devil over here. (laughs) So Esther chapter 8. A couple chapters over. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king. So what's happened by this point is that when he comes in to, uh, for this banquet, that Esther asks, uh, basically, how did this happen that you have set a decree against the Jewish people and against somebody, basically, that you have uh, given me such favor? See, like verse, in fact, um, I'm going to skip around, sorry, and Esther 5, 8, because I want to sit on this for a minute. Mm. Let me find the actual spot I want. Hmm. Oh, here we go. So Esther 5, 9. So Haman went out. That day, joyful and with a glad heart, because he was invited, by the way, by Queen Esther. When Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he advanced him from the officials and the servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I am invited again, again invited by her along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing. So as long as I see Mordecai, the Jews sitting at the enemy's, the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high. And in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it and go merrily and the king to the banquet. And this thing pleased Haman. So he had made the, so he had the gallows made. Uh, chapter six, that night the king could not sleep. So no one, so one was brought, uh, commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles and they read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of uh, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. So the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought this in his heart. Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? 
And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of the, the of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights in honor. You all get the point that Haman thought he was talked about him. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai, the Jew. <laughs> Who sits within the king's gate, leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai. Haman did it. Haman arrayed him and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his horse, mourning with his head covered. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened, his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai before you whom have begun to fail is of the Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. Even they were prophesying. Did you catch that? Even they could tell, this is a bad day for you, bro. In Esther chapter 7, verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given to me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people, and I to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. We had been sold as male and female slaves. I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, The adversary, catch the verbiage here, the adversary, an enemy, is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. And basically, verse 10, So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. Chapter 8, on that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai became the king, came before the king for Esther and told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai and Esther and appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. And then you can uh, read on, like verse 8, you yourselves write a decree. So in other words, he says, all right, you want to undo this? You write it. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. Come on, somebody. No one can revoke. See, the language in here is written by the Holy Spirit. So none of this is random talking about the adversary the enemy and they're bringing it's bringing such clarity as saying once you write it no one can revoke it this powerful truth is for us to say listen to me listen you've been placed in this time for such a time as this and it's time for the church to stick its neck out there and that's really what I just keep hearing the Holy Spirit say to me over and over, whether it's in Anaheim or other congregations or whether it's people who are not even a part of the rock, because I believe this is for the whole church, the church of Jesus Christ. It's time for the church to stick its neck out there. It's time to come and get yourself in places where it seems like you're risking everything. 
where if I perish, I perish. But see, what we're having right now is a, is a tension in the church because we've got a lot of unbelieving believers. So we've got a lot of people who they believe in God, but they don't believe God. So when he calls them out on water, we sing the song, call me out upon the water and ocean. See, you know, it's awesome. And we're like waving. It's like, yes, Lord. Except when we get out of the water, then we start to freak out, right? Because there are waves and winds. And we're like, why did I hear? How did I make it here? But we have to start being the ones who speak in the middle of the storm and say, peace, be still. So when you get home and all of a sudden the argument's starting, all of a sudden the kids decide to lose their minds, right? And all of a sudden your boss starts to lose their mind. Instead of losing your mind with them, you stand up at the front of your boat and you say, peace, be still. And you watch every wind, every wave subside. Why? Because the world needs to know that Christians actually believe in this God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if it means that we need to stand up in front of our boss or stand up in front of, uh, of wickedness and laws that are perverse, then we need to do it. We need to do it. And if we perish, <laughs> we perish. Somebody say, are you saying we're going to die? Well, I don't think so. But I don't know. I mean, one day you will die. It's the ultimate statistic. One out of one will die. So we're all safe there, right? Hundred percent. So I'm not saying like, oh, you're going to walk out of here and just go give your life like you're dead. No, but I am saying that inside you do need to die inside. You need to let your will go your own concern for your own well-being go. Why? Because that's where true faith is. When you believe that God's got you. When you believe that he is going to take care of you. When you believe that, you'll stick your neck out there. Why? Because God's got your back. Amen. He's got your back. He goes before you. He stays behind you. Like he surrounds you with his angel armies. Like you're good. If anyone should be worried, it's Satan. I love some of those quotes. They're not scripture, but it is fun to read it. It's like when I get up, hell freaks out, right? <laughs> like when I wake up in the morning... Demons start to get a little worried. Why? Because I want to be that person who truly steps into this place where I know God put me in this land for such a time as this. And you may feel like, you know what? I'm nobody. I don't have any influence. I don't have this kind of favor. I don't know if God's going to use me. And I just want to let you know that God is going to use you as much as he's using me. It may look different. It may have a different tone to it. It may have a different personality to it. You may have a different calling, but it's no less. It's no less. It's no less. And the enemy would love nothing more than to come in and start to whisper to you and, uh, and, and really erode your confidence. Like, oh, you could never be like that. You'll never be. And even as I'm preaching this whole thing, if I, if I perish, I perish. Some of you are like, I don't know if I'm that, I don't know if I'm that extreme. You know, I don't know if I want, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if, if that's something that I really want to step into. But the enemy will bring that kind of self-doubt and bring that kind of feeling like you are going to have to keep control if you want to take care of yourself. Because that's the age we live in. Is that's what you're going to hear preached in self-help seminars. 
That's why you need to be careful what things you watch on TV and whose books you read. Because they're going to tell you to help yourself. And I'm telling you, according to the word of God, to slay yourself. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I don't know how we skirt around that. <laughs> crucified to me means dead. I have been crucified in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So he lives. So when I'm walking around, I go to the grocery store and I go to work. Who shows up that day? Me or Jesus through me? I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to show up. Because I know I can't save one person's soul. I can't heal one person's body. I can't use the gifts of the Spirit of myself at all. I need the Holy Spirit to show me things if I want to see them. No, I need him. So what I believe the Lord wants to do for us today is awaken us to why we're here. Why are we here? And I don't just mean planet Earth. I mean, why are you in that family? Why do you have that last name? Why are you at the Rock Hesperia? Why do you live on the street that you live on? Why do you have the relationships that you have? Because if everything is just like, well, isn't that interesting? Then we'll miss out for such a time as this. And the role of an intercessor takes the stand and says, I understand why I'm here. And I'm willing to stand in the gap for those people. I'm willing to go to the hard places. I'm willing to even go before the throne of God and pray for you and pray for you and pray for you and plead for you. In fact, I just want to end on Daniel. I told you we'd find out if we'd get there and we're going to go. We're going to end with this, though. Because Daniel was like the ultimate to me. I just, I'm, I'm getting so much out of the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 9, we find this man of God who basically even ungodly kings are believing in God because of Daniel. They saw that he would not flinch in the face of persecution. You know the story that Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, Right? He was thrown in the lion's den. The king loved him, but he had signed a decree and was basically bound by a similar situation. This deceptive spirit that happened with Esther happened with Mordecai. So a law was written and it basically came against Daniel. It was after Daniel because those subordinates that were under him didn't like him. So they came after him and influenced the king. So this law was written. So they threw Daniel in the lion's den. He spent the night there and these lions didn't touch him. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, can that not be part of my training experience? <laughs> Though that would actually kind of be cool, but that takes some like tremendous amount of trust. Okay, so, but what's interesting is once he comes out, the king says, truly, your God is God. Truly, your God is God. And he made, and this is pretty gnarly, but he made the decree and said, those people who wrote this deceptive law, throw them and all their family into the pit. And the Bible gets so detailed, it says that they didn't even hit the ground before those lions crushed all of their bones. They didn't even hit the ground. I'm like, dang, Lord, you're like specific. That's like... <laughs> but I, I think it's not meant to um, cause us to be like, yeah, that's what you get. But I think it is something of a fear of God to show us God is real. And when he says he'll take care of you, he will take care of you. 
that there is nothing to fear. But we find Daniel in this, the, this book, which I feel like um, in chapter 9, we find him here. And I think it's a roadmap for us for intercession because he really starts off with uh, repentance. But what boggles me is that this man who was so godly is repenting. And he's repenting for being rebellious. He's repenting for not listening to God, to his prophets. And he's repenting. Why is he repenting? Because he's repenting on behalf of the people. Because at this point, the people weren't repenting. The people weren't fessing up. They weren't coming before God and admitting that they're wrong, that they're godless, that they are allowing this wickedness to permeate them and their families and their cultures. But yet Daniel sees it and he's in his face and he's fast and he prays and he is repenting on behalf of the people. And I love verse 19. He says, oh, Lord, hear, oh, Lord, forgive, oh, Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and for your people who are called by your name. And he prays this prayer and it shakes heaven to the point that God sent an angel. And this angel shows up and says, Daniel, I've come. You're greatly beloved. And I was caused to fly swiftly. Now, this scripture to me just just blows my stinking mind because I'm like, here is a man, a, a man on earth, just like us. And he's praying and he's interceding and he's on his face probably. He's on his knees and he's, and he's in this place of intercession. And it's so powerful that God responds and says, you, get down there quick. And from his own throne room, he sends an angel. And the angel comes and says, Daniel, I've come because you're greatly beloved. And I've come and catch this. The angel says that I've come and I'm here to make you understand dreams and visions. So God's like, I'm going to hand deliver to you what you're going to need in this next season. I'm going to hand deliver you the answer to the prayer that you were just praying. I mean, by the time, so he says that when you started praying, the command went out. So that by the time he started his prayer to the end of his prayer, heaven responded. The angel was there and saying, I was caused to fly swiftly. So I want you to know this. When you step into this place, the, the place of an intercessor, heaven responds. Angels are real. Armies of heaven are real and they're really there to do the word of God. So when you're praying the word of God, praying the word of God, praying the word of God, let me just tell you, your household is going to be like Grand Central Station for heaven. Things are going to be happening and you're going to be like, I don't even know what is going on in my life because God is moving. Well, he's moving, but you started. (laughs) Right? So God's not waiting on uh, God is God is not waiting to move. It's not just him. He's saying, no, you move. You pray. You fast. You understand that this is, uh, you're here for such a time as this. So I want us to do this. Would you stand right where you're at? By the way, I think what's interesting with both of these people is it was one person. One, listen, if I leave today and just one of y'all become Daniel, worth it. Because that's all California needs is one. No, just needs one. 
One person, one church, that's all it needs. Game over. So that's what we need this morning. We need to come to a place. And some of it's like, well, I don't even understand all you're saying. You don't need to understand all of it. You just need a heart that's willing to understand. A heart that says, I yield my life to you. God, my life is yours. If you want me to leave this church service right now and go down to 7-Eleven and go to the clerk and give him a word that would encourage him, then I will get in my car right now and drive down to 7-Eleven and find that precious little person in there and pray for them and deliver the word that you told me to give to them. If you're telling me right now to walk out of this room, Lord, and pick up the phone and call mom for the first time in a few years, I will walk out of this room and call her up. Right? If you want me to leave this room and leave church service today and go home and spend a couple hours and praying for my family because they need somebody to cry out like Daniel and say, oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, act. See, that's what God's calling us to. He's calling us to get activated, get into this thing, to, to, to call him into our family, to call him into our church. But see, I think sometimes we get deceived into waiting on somebody else to go first. And God is looking at you and saying, you go first. You. You don't need to wait on so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. You don't need to wait on the spiritual mama of the church. You don't need to wait on the brother who always gives the word of prophecy. You need to go first. You go. You step out in faith. You start to pray when nobody else sees you praying. You wake up earlier in the morning. Listen, we all have time to pray. Everybody. You have the time. It's all there. We all got 24 hours a day. There's plenty of time to pray. But we need to intercede. Come on, some of you, I, th- this is, uh, some of this stuff I'm just saying because I believe that this is relating to some of you. Which, by the way, we don't always, when you hear the Lord saying something to you, you don't always have to say, thus says the Lord. Sometimes you just say it and the person who needed to hear it will hear it and that's good enough. But for someone, you have a... a uh, Uh, a person at work and they're just hard. They're hard to work with. People don't like working with them and you surely don't like working with them. But here's the charge from the Lord to you. Stop complaining about them and start interceding for them because that person probably has a hard life that you don't know anything about. And their heart is their heart is probably not just hardened against you. It's probably hardened against him. And we need believers who will intercede and stop getting offended And stop looking at people in the eyes of the natural, eyes of the flesh, and start seeing their soul, start seeing their spirit, and start realizing, wow, they're not cussing me out because it's about me. They're cussing me out because they're hurt, and they're broken, and they need Jesus, and I have what they need. I have their source of life. I have their breakthrough. I have their freedom. I have their healing. So if I get ticked off at them and offended and I stop talking to them, then I have cut off their life source and their spring and their uh, their, their freedom and their salvation. But I have to get over myself and get back over here with them and intercede and pray and say, Lord, forgive this person. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know that they're hurting people. In fact, I think they're hurt, Lord. Forgive them, Lord. Stretch out your hand and heal them, Lord. Stretch out your hand and save them. 
them, Lord. Lord, for my mother or my father who beat me, for those people who spoke bad about me, for that spouse who left me, Lord, forgive them. Move in their life. Set them free, Lord. Send angels to minister to them. Send laborers to save them, Lord. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is intercession. This isn't just some, Lord, I pray that you'd bless them. No, this is prayer getting into the trenches and saying, I refuse to let you go to hell. I refuse to let you go. Yes, you hurt me. Yes, you don't forgive me, but I forgive you. And may Jesus stretch out his hand and pull you up out of that place of darkness and that place of deception. See, I know what I'm talking about. I have unsaved loved ones who constantly persecute us. I have, we have friends, family, who whenever we even bring up Jesus, they're vitriolic. In fact, uh, this is, is this podcasted? (laughs) Okay. Okay, then I'll share only what is helpful. Okay. No, but we had a certain family member and we were all together at a family thing. They're not going to listen to this podcast. If they do, that is a miracle. And my intercession is working. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Okay. So anyways, but we're at a family gathering. And my daughter, who's four years old, you know, kids are so funny. Like they're fearless. And she just reaches out to this family member and is basically like, do you know Jesus? My mommy says you don't know Jesus. Do you want to know Jesus? Well... Okay, so he flips his lid, cusses us out in front of our kids. My kids don't hear cussing because believers don't do that. So they don't hear that. So, you know, he flips his lid. He leaves, he leaves the room and he constantly makes fun of my wife, makes fun of our beliefs. But listen, we don't get offended because he doesn't know God. He is in darkness. He cannot see He cannot see himself forward. He cannot even take one step in front of the other. There are drugs involved and there's all kinds of demonic activity and just evil things. So if we get in the flesh and just cuss him back out, what have we done? We've severed the place of our opportunity for intercession. See, it's time for us to mature, right? It's time for us to stop getting in the flesh, stop blaming them, stop being like, I can't believe they said that. Well, yes, you can. They don't know Jesus. And until they know him, they don't know love. And if they don't know love, they certainly cannot love you. That's why I love in the New Testament, we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. What does that mean? That's the intercessor role. You stand in the gap and you hold their hand and you hold the hand of God and you work this thing until those two hands connect. And when they connect, you step back. And what happened? Man was reconciled to God. And I think it's interesting to me that Jesus had the same posture. So when Jesus says, pick up your and follow me, what is he saying? Step into the place of intercession. Step into the gap and you hold that person's hand. I don't care how angry they get and how hard they get. And if they cuss you out and if they if they 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 put you out of the family and they say they don't want anything to do. You hold that hand while you hold on to his hand. And you pray this thing through.
pray that they would reach out to you. Lord, I pray that they would come to your calling. Lord, I pray that you would do your work in their life. Lord, I thank you that they're reconciled to you. Lord, I thank you that they're yours now. I thank you for the work. You you see what just happened. You pull them into prayer until finally they meet God for themselves. This is what we need. This is what we need. This is what your family needs. Come on, I don't know your families. I don't know what's going on, but I bet you I could go to every family in this place and you have a family member that relates to you like the one I just mentioned. And you have those in your family who they don't want anything to do with you because you're a believer. And when you get around them, they feel convicted. But they don't say that. They just say, you're just judgmental. I don't even want to, I don't want to, I want to hear that. But you hold on to their hand in the spirit. You hold on to them. And when you get in the throne room of God, you say, I'm not letting them go, Lord. I don't care what they say. That child, some of you, you have kids who are trying to get off track, trying to get out of whack. You hold on to them. Don't ever let them over to Satan like that. You pull them in. You say, no, you're my child. All my children shall be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of my children. You pull them in. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's lift our hands today. Some of us, the first step is to repent that you ain't been doing this already. (laughs) Maybe you knew that you're supposed to be doing this and you haven't. So right where you're at, just begin to connect with God and say, Lord, I haven't been doing this, but I repent. I turn to you. I'm going to make this my lifestyle. I'm going to stop getting offended with people. I'm going to stop blaming unbelievers for being unbelievers. I'm going to start seeing the soul that you want to save in them. Lord, we turn our heart. Come on, verbalize this because there's something that needs to break in our ability to communicate to God. Lord, we want to see you move in our families. We want to see you move in our households. We want to see you move in our jobs and in our friends, Lord. And Lord, we want to be that place of the intercessor and reconciling and pulling people to you. Lord, help us to not give up. Help us to not grow weary while doing good. Help us to not stop praying. Lord, wake us up in the night if you need to. Wake us up early in the morning if you need to. Help us to pray on the lunch hour and at the dinner hour. Lord, help us to fast like Daniel and like Esther. Lord, help us to get rid of ourselves so that we receive yourself. Lord, help us to see revival in this area. Revival in California. Use us for your glory. And Lord, I pray that you would turn even the laws that have been written against us, literal laws, that you would turn them on their head, Lord, and that you would put believers into the place of writing laws. And Lord, we're going to see a turn in California in the name of Jesus. Do your work in this state, Lord. Do your work in this state. We will not let go. We will not get frustrated. We're not going to speak ill of people. We're going to hold on to them and hold on to them and hold on to them until prayer breaks through the atmosphere and breaks the hold of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Come on, if you have your spiritual language, just pray it out in the spirit this morning. Come on, praying in the spirit is one of the ways that you just tap immediately into the will of God. And maybe you've never done that before. You, We've done a series on it just recently, but if you want to just pray and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit because I need this kind of boldness. I need this kind of power. I need this kind of in touch tune with your spirit. Come on, church. 
I know you're a disciple. Let's pray in the Holy Spirit and intercede for people. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Look up here for just a second. Romans says that the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with words that cannot be uttered. And then it also says that He prays the perfect will of God through us. So some of you say, that between the tongues thing, that's strange. Well, it's all throughout scripture and we don't have the time to get into it. But I know this, there have been times, even in church ministry, where you're working with people and lives are on the line and families are on the line and I don't know all the situations going on in their life. I don't know how to bring resolution. I don't know how to bring what they need. But I do know that the Spirit of God knows. So I get into prayer and all I know sometimes is just to pray in the Spirit and 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 pray in the Spirit. Believing that the Spirit of God truly is praying through me. Why? Because I don't know what to pray for as I ought. That's what the Bible says. So when I get in that, and sometimes even in my own family, and maybe my wife and I, we're struggling to see eye to eye on something. It's not because we don't love one another. It's not because I don't want to be patient with her, but we're just having a hard time getting on the same page. Sometimes I just have to go in my office and I'll just shut the door and I'll just begin to pray in the Holy Spirit and pray and pray and pray. Why? Because I don't know what to pray for. I'm a man just like you guys. Sometimes I'm a human. I'm flesh. I don't know all things and I need God to help me. You know, I don't know sometimes how to pray for that family member. But sometimes I just got to get in the spirit. So come on, let's again pray. Pray. Come on. I don't know how to pray for that young person who's wandered off and who's not following you anymore, Lord. I don't know where they're at today, but I'll pray in the spirit until something breaks in their life. Lord, I'm going to pray for my wife until I know there's reconciliation, until there's peace in our home. And I don't know what that is. I don't know how to pray, but I'm going to pray in the Holy Spirit until it breaks out in my family. I'm not going to let go of my marriage. I won't let go of my children. I won't let go of my health until you come through. Come on, come on. We need to, we need to press through this.
Father, I pray for this man right here. And Lord, I thank you that you've brought him to a place where he's even in the room today. And Lord, you've broken him through through so many obstacles. You've broken him through so many barriers, things that seemed like they were stacked up against him. And you broke through them all. And so, Lord, because of that, I thank you that whatever's in front of him right now, those things that seem impossible, those things that even bring discouragement, that just like you broke through those other things, you will break through these things too. And Lord, that you have a special calling and an anointing and something on his life that you're going to use for many people. And Lord, I pray that you would open his mouth to say the gospel like is in his heart. And Lord, I thank you that just like a a, a geyser springs up, that that will flood out of his mouth at the right time and at the right place. And Lord, I just, man, I can see that God's like stirring things inside of you. And sometimes you don't even know how to verbalize and get it out. God's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you understanding. He's going to give you the words to say. You don't need to be worried about it. You don't need to be under pressure about it. But just like a well, it's just going to spring up out of you one day. And you're going to be a totally transformed and different person. So Lord, we bless this man in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. 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 Lord, I thank you for our church here. I thank you for the work that you're doing. I thank you for the word that you're saying about interceding. I pray that you would, that would be like a seed that would be planted so deep that no drought can get to it. No devourer can get to it. No weeds can get into it. But Lord, I thank you that this seed will sprout. It'll sprout in family. It'll sprout in marriages. It'll sprout in this land. And it'll grow to be a large and fruitful tree. And I speak it in the name of Jesus. If you agree with you, say amen. Let's clap our hands. Amen. just gave Pastor Ty a hug from all of you. Is it so worth it to be in the house of the Lord today? To have chosen Him over anything else you could have done? Yes. Amen. And right now, I do want to call the prayer team. Although we are going to dismiss, the prayer team will be available to you because there may be someone in here who just hasn't made that step over that the beginning line to say, I want to be involved in this whole thing. I want to be involved in the family of God. I want to be considered a member of this family. And not only that, but there's a secondary step too. And just, you know what? You can be saved right now. You can enter the family of God and have access to all of this, including the power of God working through you by the Holy Spirit, and just ask for it. And they'll lead you. They're trustworthy. Right now, if you'll just even move from your seats, even as we dismiss, take as long as you need. They'll be here for moments afterwards. And just come. And not only for yourself if you need to be in the kingdom of God, but you might just want to bring that person you're interceding for because you know that your heart was stirred while Pastor Ty was speaking the word of God that someone, many, many, probably many someones have been placed on your heart. Use this time. And let's just come right now and pray. In fact, would you begin moving from your seats to just take these last moments and begin praying for those that you care about, that the Lord has put on your heart, because this is not for nothing. Someone say, this service was not for nothing. 
This service is for the deliverance and the rescue, the restoration, the healing, the everything that God has for those that I love. And so begin right now just to move forward from your seats and begin praying with these who love you and will love those you love for you and help you to reach them. Intercede for them right now. Let's put this into practice. Put feet to it right now. Because if we stay where we are, they will stay where they are. If we stay at our seats, even though we're standing, they will stay left right where they are. Let us not stay where we are, but let us move forward from our seats, wherever we are today, to begin praying for this radical transformation. Because we all have the option to just stand here. And we all have the option to not move forward, right? But God is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. All you who know people who are weary and heavy laden, bring them to me and I will give them rest for their souls. My burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, Jesus says, and I will make a way where you can never see a way. They've never seen a way. Jesus says, I know the way. And so bring them right now as you come to these prayers. Just feel free to form a line if that's what it takes. Don't worry about it. They will get to you. And you know what? I want you to go out from this place when we go, just like my fair lady person falls so in love and let us be so in love with jesus that we're swinging around light poles in our neighborhood saying thank god because i'm on the street right i'm on the street where you live because i'm on the street where you live now it can all be released to you amen in your neighborhoods in your communities at your workplace in your schools all of it The Lord has all of it ready to release to you. Do you believe God? Do you believe he has it to release and wants to do it? Amen. Lord, we receive it deeply. And may this implanted word absolutely grow into groves, fields, harvests full of fruitful, life-giving, nourishing trees so that others, not just for us, Lord, but for all the many, many people that you are sending us to at such a time as this, We have been established in the places we've been established. Lord, we thank you again for your son coming to minister to us today. In Pastor Ty, that he's brought the word and he has taught us a new thing. Let us walk in it and bring such life and power and favor because you sent us to do it equipped with your Holy Spirit. We are not without resource. Lord, we can do all things. Someone say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's strengthening you for intercession today. Lord bless you.